You're listening to 128, a podcast about spiritual maturity, real people, real talk, real life. Hey, everybody, welcome to season two of 128, which is based on Colossians chapter one and verse 28, which says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In this episode, I have the opportunity to speak with Dan and Alice Harder, incredible saints and servants of the Lord who've served God literally all over the world, but particularly in the U.S. and in South America and uh, and now also in the Middle East. And so you are so going to be blessed by this interview. So without much further ado, let's get started. Well, uh, on today's podcast, I'm so excited because I get to be with friends and examples in faith. These are, um, this is a couple that I really very much look up to. Um, I was in a leadership conversation recently and a couple of other uh, leaders at Grace Point just talked about how they've mentored and this couple has mentored them and poured it into their lives. And I could probably, without taking a breath, uh, rattle off 15 names easily top of mind um, of people whose very trajectories in their lives were changed because of Dan and Alice Harder, who are on the podcast today. And uh, these are examples in faith and ministry. Dan heads up MEM, I call it MEM affectionately, but it's Middle East Ministries, and uh, has been in missions work. By the way, how long now have you been in missions work? I would say almost 50 years, like 47 years, maybe. Mm -hmm. 47 to 50 years. That's incredible. And, um, and anyway, I know you guys have a missionary background. We'll get into all of that. We'll get into your upbringing, but I want to say welcome. Thank you so much for uh, being on 128. Thank you so much for sharing your journey towards spiritual maturity. And uh, again, just to set it up for our listeners, spiritual maturity is not the same thing as spiritual perfection. No one's going to be perfect. And uh, I have yet to meet a spiritually mature person who pretends to be perfect. Um, but we have to be very careful that sometimes in the name of imperfection, we think that spiritual maturity isn't real. It's not a thing in this life. And it's very much meant to be a reality in this lifetime. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means the issue of devotion uh, has largely been settled. There's the circumstances don't rock your devotion whether you're going to wake up in the morning and follow Jesus as much as it did really as you were going through the maturation process. And it, you're always going to deal with character issues your whole life, but there's also something about maturity that gives you perspective on the next thing that you're working on. So uh, Dan and Alice, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this. And, uh, and I admire you guys. And I want to say thank you right up front for your faithfulness and your heart and the way you pour into others and the way you, you show Jesus consistently. Um, it's a pleasure to be here, Derek, with you. Well, and I, and, uh, I tell you what, and I, I know something of the circumstances that you've recently come through, Alice, and so I know how difficult those have been. Um, and boy, you're just a beacon. It's just a, a you know, just a light. So I appreciate that. Um, let's go back to the beginning. And, and maybe, Alice, let's start with you. Um, so did you grow up in a Christian house? Were your parents followers of Jesus? Like, how did you get introduced to Jesus? Yeah, that's a, 
uh, actually, as I was thinking about this whole conversation we were going to have, I think that was really important, the home life. I've been very blessed to have been brought up in a Christian home, not perfect, um, but uh, Christ followers, farmer's daughter, you know, that rural life and working hard and working together as a family. So family, um, I, I mean, I come from a community where I know not just my uncles and aunts and my grandparents, I know my second and third cousins. I mean, it's all that, that really close community and they were all Christians. And wow. then there's the church community as well. So, you know, it was, it was um, very stabilizing. I think it was really helpful. Plus we would hear the, the scriptures explained and, and um, we were brought up that way. So Plus, I saw character. You know, I saw people, how they lived their life as well. You saw it put into action. So the uh, faith in action, which is just a huge testimony, like we tend to forget the power of witness just by the way we actually live. People pick up on, you know, what is or isn't allowable by how we actually live. Uh, siblings? Do you have siblings? Yes, I'm number three. I'm the third girl. So third we girl? have all of us in one bedroom. These three girls, it looked like a dorm room. We had the master bedroom of the farmhouse. And and then I had a brother who's younger. So three you girls know, and one boy. God puts families together. You learn many things about living life in your family, for sure. Absolutely. Now, uh, so surrounded by all of these Christ followers, uh, grew up with Christian values that were practiced and embedded, saw uh, people around you, not just talk about faith, but struggle maybe through some tough times, but leaning on faith through those. Mm -hmm. um, typically, second generation Christians or third generation Christians, and what I mean by that are you, you can't inherit Christianity. It has right. to be owned in every generation. But I mean, people who, who grew up in it, one of the things that they struggle with is um, typically is is this that is this for real or is it a result of culture? Mm -hmm. How, did you ever struggle with that? Some people don't. Some people do. Uh, was that ever a part of kind of your process as you were uh, coming up out of that? Well, I think there comes a time in each person's life you better face that question. Um, and so I went off to college, and I remember I was about twenty that it really hit me, you know, am I choosing this? Actually, I didn't um, make that personal profession of faith until I was 15. So already I had, I was an older person because my parents said, we want you to make sure you really want to follow this. Oh, and those, so, are those are great parents. Yeah. And yeah. so I was 15 and um, I mean, I had felt the struggle, but I was so shy, you know, just to be able to stand up in a church meeting or something like that. Wait, but, you were um, shy? <laughs> you were shy? I know. I know. I know. I remember I'm a third girl and I had two older sisters that did everything for me. You know, I didn't have to talk so much because I just follow along with them. So okay. that's what happens to thirds sometimes if they're not, well, Dan is the third, but he's a, he was a different kind of a guy than me. But anyway, just to <laughs> say, just to say it's, um, yeah, you have to go through that. You have to really say, and I did. And I said, Lord, That's I don't know. Big deal. That's yeah, a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal that you were 15. And this oh, is yeah. not to say that older is somehow better, or younger is somehow no. better. But it is to say that 
the implication there is, it's not just a tacit acceptance. And I guess this is just the way things are. It was really a process of, am I actually willing to give up my life to follow Jesus? And then to, in your twenties, kind of even unpack that further and then be able to go back and go, no, that was a decision that I made. Um, and I, I was aware of what I was saying when I made it, you know, that's, that's kind of a really big deal. So uh, you, did you, uh, what happened in your twenties? So you left the house, uh, you graduate high school. And what right. Happened? After high school, went to college in Indiana. So this is Pennsylvania to Indiana. It was a big move, but my older sister was, one of my sisters was there. So, you know, I just went into biology and, and I uh, had, you know, within the college, it was a Christian college, so I was part of a, a group, um, a, a life group, or if you want to call it, small group, and um, made some really good friends there. That we were growing in faith, they helped you. College is one of those pivotal pivotal moments, right? Where some people turn away because of certain friends or contacts or whatever, and other people dig in. Um, we had a podcast um, earlier. Uh, in the in last season where uh, a couple of couples said, I got to college and actually that's where my faith took off because I was suddenly in groups that, you know, so I, instead of going away, my college experience was that it drew me closer. Mm -hmm. Is that well, similar to yours or? Well, um, <clears throat> when I was a freshman, I mean, a sophomore, my first semester, my college had some new, a new program where we had to go to another country. That was part of our college education. And I went to <clears throat> Costa Rica. And okay. of course, that's where, you know, this whole Latin thing and this whole Spanish thing uh, really uh, started off for me. But I lived with families that were Catholic families. And I had never, I was into my small community. Actually, it was a Mennonite community. We were very close. And so I never, not that my parents didn't have other friends, but beyond the normal denominations, no, we didn't have those close friends that were from another faith. I mean, like Catholicism, which was quite a bit different for me, a new experience. And, and um, I think that really made me look at my own faith. I came back and I had to think it through. And because and, uh, I, I love these, you know, you find they're people, you know, they're people just like yeah, God loves them too. And, and I learned a lot from them. And we still have the friendship actually. And it's a very spiritual friendship that we have uh, right then with our my sister, my, uh -huh. Colum my Costa Rican sister. So, you know, th that was really pivotal, getting out of the United States, yep. getting out into another culture really made me look at my own faith. So God was expanding your world. And yeah. And so uh, now did you meet Dan in college or after college? No. After college, after college, I went with some friends to Chicago. Uh, we had a house fellowship. This was the 70s. You might yeah. you need to know. This is the early 70s. No fraud and casing and all that kind of stuff? House, yeah, Jesus, you know, the Jesus freaks and all that. But um, there was a, the whole thing of house fellowship. And so we were part of a, a house fellowship where we shared Describe, okay, but describe for our listeners, because some people, they weren't born in the 70s yet. Other people remember <laughs> the 70s, and some people are still trying to forget the 70s. So um, <laughs> when it comes to the when you say house fellowship, I, I know what you mean. I, I, yeah, I'm familiar with that. But could you explain what that is and how that might be different than a commune? 
Okay, yes. Um, first of all, our focus was to, sh to grow in Christ and to share out into the community. So uh, we didn't want to just go to Chicago and have a job and have the fun, youthful life like that. We wanted to make our lives be different. And so we, um, through the Mennonite Church, there's something called voluntary service. So there were a group of people, a unit of people living in, um, what's it called? Englewood. Okay, Englewood? Englewood. In Chicago. In Chicago land. land. And so <clears throat> we got involved with that Englewood Mennonite African-American church. Yeah. A whole new culture. And it was so, uh, lots to learn, but at the same time, it was so good. It, it prepared me to go to Columbia for sure. But anyway, so we got a house. There was a married couple. We fixed up this house, this rundown house. We lived in it. There were four girls. There we were college um, and friends and um, the married couple, and then about two guys. And so we had Bible studies together. We served together. We looked out for each other. We cooked together, you know, the whole works. And it was, it was good for a young person yep. in the 20s and being able to be independent, meeting the bills, you know, paying your way and also being involved with an inner city. It was very unique. How long? Uh, that was like two and a half years because in that time, then God made it possible that Dan come from South Holland, okay. a youth pastor there with a different church, an evangelical free church and uh, our past crossed. Okay, so and it all started in McCormick Place at a, at a Christian conference. Uh, so, Bill Gothard, right? Yeah, that's where he met. Bill Gothard Christian from Conference my group, from my group, McCormick Place, and then he came out with his guys, his youth group, not his youth group, the guys, to yeah. help us in the summer with oh. these kids. Wow. That's when we met. So mm -hmm. met serving. It's interesting also how God took you from a rural context and put you in an urban context, Very which is good. also a whole other arc. But that's an yeah. amazing journey of faith. All right. So Dan, we got it now. We got to look at you because suddenly you're in South Holland as a youth pastor. That didn't happen out of the blue. Where, uh, where did you start? Where, uh, what's your background? Did you grow up in a Christian home? What's, what's your journey? I grew up in the Midwest and, uh, and my dad was a, a pastor and a teacher. Okay. Uh, he was a teacher in, in the school systems, actually had a couple of master's degrees. And, but he loved, he, he, he had really um, uh, the type of, uh, of uh, mentality that he didn't want to stay in, one, in any one place very long. Okay. And so he started a church uh, and a couple of years later, he wanted to start another church. And so, so that's how I grew up as a son of a church planner uh, in Nebraska, Wyoming, uh, it, it was a very, very um, cowboy setting sometimes, even, you know, with rodeos, the whole business. Wow. And, and, um, <laughs> and I can remember doing all kinds of weird things with my, my brothers, my, my, my two brothers and my sister, and weird in the sense that, that we, would get, we would get out and do, and do things outdoors, but sometimes almost get into real trouble where my, our parents had to rescue us. Oh. But it was a, it, it was a really great, a great uh, childhood in many ways. But the thing that 
was tough on me was that we moved so much that I really did struggle with, would I ever want to do something like what my, my dad did? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so as a, as a young child, I made a profession of faith, was baptized in a Baptist church, a Southern Baptist church, believe it or not, in Western Nebraska, in the, in the river. And, uh, uh, and as I grew up in, in, my, in, in my early years then, uh, I had a, an encounter with God at eight years old that had to do with missions, where the, 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 uh, the, the great uh, missionary event where, where Jim Elliott and, uh, and crew landed uh, to, to reach uh, the Alka Indians. And, and that, that incident and a film that was shown about that really changed uh, my life trajectory in the sense that I, one Sunday after church, my dad had been you know, talking through uh, missions and outreach and having a world vision and all that stuff. And I came home early and, uh, and, and on the porch where we had this, you know, this swing, I, I knelt by that and made a commitment to God that I would be a missionary someday in South America. Wow. Well, how so, many, how many, Countless missionaries had to Jim Elliott and Saint and oh, those guys that okay. group inspire, right? Right. Well, it's, it's, it reached to my Pennsylvania Mennonite right. community too. I mean, the book and the whole work. I mean, it just really did. Every every Christmas morning at our house, my I had Christian parents and uh, my dad would gift uh, my mom and dad would gift me and my sister with a book. And it was generally a Christian book and autobiographies or biographies or classics. Uh, I first got Chronicles of Narnia because of a Christmas morning book gift. But one of those books early on for me was the journals of Jim Elliott. And, uh, and so, yeah, very much. Of course you read those and you just think I'll never be that spiritual ever, you know, <laughs> but he was a, you know, he was a, a regular guy, a Christian guy. who was just processing through Lord, could you use me? And God didn't just use him, but he used his group and his death. And then fast forward years later, I'm in Amsterdam in 2000 in a conference. And uh, one of the guys from the, from the Indian tribe, he was now the chief of the, that tribe, but he was one of those who speared those missionaries and came to faith. And, oh, you, uh, you actually saw him. We, I saw him speak personally. We have the end of the spear. Yeah. Also an incredible book, right? Movie, movie. When I saw movie. that, I said, "Oh my word!" I remember, you know, the whole thing of Through Gates of Splendor. That was Elizabeth Elliot's book, yeah. No, but that was their song. That was their hymn, and that's yeah. what they saw. They saw the Gates of Splendor. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, this guy was incredible. He came up in his full garb, and uh, and a part as he was sharing his story about these guys that they had killed. He said, uh, "I know that we killed them." But because of their death, I have life. And one day I'll see him again and I'll get to hug. Oh. And I mean, there's not a dry eye in the house. So anyway, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. So Dan, you commit your future and your life and I'm gonna go to the mission field and Latin America and you, so that's very much a call that you have, but um, that still doesn't get you to a youth pastor in South Holland, Michigan, which is about as far away from Latin America as you're gonna get, where, where, where'd you go? What happened? Yeah, and, and South Holland was in, in Chicago. Oh, and, Chicago, and, okay, all right. Speaking yes. <laughs> Holland, Michigan is what I was thinking. It was thinking. A, 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 a more well-to-do suburb at the time, and 
And, uh, but how, I, how did I get there? I went to college, majored in missions and Bible. Uh, and, um, and, and then I went to seminary at a seminary called Grace Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana for a year. During that time, I felt really strongly that I should go to, to Latin America after my first year of seminary to make sure that that the, that call of God would be more identified to be, because I, I, I believe that it was going to be in Latin America. I actually thought at the time that it would be in, uh, in, in the jungle someplace like Elizabeth <laughs> and uh, Jim Elliott, but in the, in the end, it was the jungle of the city in Bogota. And so, so, but, but I, I, I went for not a week or two weeks, but for a summer, a complete summer. And most of, most of my time I spent it in, in, uh, in Colombia and felt strongly that it was Colombia. I actually was in, in Venezuela as well. And, and I felt Colombia was the place that God wanted me to be. What year is and it? So came That's back right. from, from Colombia. I had, I had met a man, a godly man named Elof Anderson, who uh, mentored me during that period of time when I was uh, there. He, he, he had started like, I think, 30, 30 churches up in the mountains of Columbia. And he actually really believed this, that you could only do missions work really with poor people and up in the mountains. I mean, that was like, Dan, don't go to Bogota or, or any other place. Like, you should really only go to the, go to the to uh, the real jungle or, right? <laughs> or to the mountains, right? The real real missions. missions. But he was a wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful guy. Person. Oh my goodness! And he was, and he, and he came out of this ch this church in the Chicago Land area, and it, and uh, and and so when I met him, he was a pastor in Chicago, but spending every summer in uh, in South America in Bogota, but uh, because he came back home to rescue his church when his church was falling apart, his number one main church that supported him hmm. and and so i i'm i met with him uh i was uh, i went out to taylor to visit a girlfriend and uh and she broke up with me i was kind of uh, kind of not so happy about it and on my way back on my way back from taylor i stopped in chicago to see this missionary that i had been with uh, for the summer and he said why don't you be my youth pastor and i said i can do that so so that's how I got to Chicago, and then I then I met Alice, uh, and I I knew right away that she was the right gal, but I had to make sure that she was convinced of that, and you know how that works. <laughs> Somehow that worked out. The opportunities came, uh, and, but but she had to. Uh, she, I at that point had been a, a youth pastor for a couple of years. I was I had this experience with my with this pastor missionary church planner guy that said to me when i became his youth pastor you can be my youth pastor but in two three years i want you to go to south america i had this great ministry i loved it with with a huge huge youth group there uh and uh and when the third year came around i wasn't thinking missions i was thinking what would i do next year with my youth group and he called me into his office and said dan you're fired I said, what? You're fired, Dan. And I said, I said, but things are going really well, Elof. And Elof says to me, no, Dan, you know, we, you have a call from God. Do you have a call from God? I do have a call from God. Well, I think it's time for you to start uh, uh, going, uh, getting ready to go. And, 
And uh, so we set a time frame of about six months that I was going to go to churches and stuff. During this period of time is when I met Alice, my, my college kids and, uh, and, and uh, young, young adult guys who went down for the summer to, to do that ministry. I would peek in on occasion and I peeked in on Alice. All my, all my, my guys, that, uh, we had this little club called Bachelors of the Rapture, said, <laughs> said to me, you ought to marry this gal. And so I took her out, and in a couple months, we were engaged. Aren't you so grateful it wasn't Bachelors to the Rapture? The, uh, uh, there's so much. You, know, you got to make sure that it wasn't that you never would get married. Right? It wasn't that we weren't going to get married. We would, only, we would only get married to someone that we believed had a, a real commitment to Jesus Christ yeah. and to the vision of reaching the world for Christ. I, there's so much about everything you just shared that I absolutely love, including actually the wisdom of your mentor um, yeah. and the courage that it takes to take someone who's successful and say, no, I'm actually interested in God's best for you and not what's best for the youth group or what's best for the church. And so I'm interested in what God is doing through you and, and you pursuing him. And, and that's, there's a lot of wisdom there. So you, uh, so what year do you guys get married? 74. 74, 1974. 74. And um, how soon before you are, you, you go to Bogota, Colombia? Well, so, so I asked her to marry me uh, as I was doing all this, uh, trying to find churches to support me, etc. And, and she was working at the University of Chicago in biology research. And she she had to make the commitment then to say goodbye to that and go take some night classes at Moody. So while she did my night classes at Moody, I went to Costa Rica and studied Spanish for eight months, came back, we got married. Three weeks later. Three weeks later after, after wow. I came back after eight months. I wrote her every other day, so she was pretty happy with my, you know, wow. even though my poems, my poems weren't that great, I'm sure that uh, that, that <laughs> wasn't a significant reason. Roses anyway, are red, Costa Rican flowers are yellow. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so so um, so after coming after coming back and getting married, we went to seminary for another semester together because Alice had to have a certain amount of in our mission, the Evangelical Alliance mission team, that not only the man but but uh, his uh, the, the 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 wife. Uh, uh, had to have a Bible 30 education, hours. thirty yeah. a major in Bible, and so so we did that. And then after three months, uh, after a semester, we went uh, then to to Colombia. No, we went to Costa Rica for another semester, and on to Colombia, starting twenty years of service in Colombia. So we were there by nineteen seventy-five, January. 1975. January nineteen seventy-five. So. Um, now, just for the listener, I want to help kind of contextualize some things because you talked, you know, some people think, you know, real missions work is up in kind of rural areas, mountain areas, and you're in the city, it's Bogota, what's the big deal? Well, number one, anybody who's ever tried to reach a city knows how hard it is. And two, especially when you're doing it from scratch. But then two, um, people forget Colum Colombia. Uh, Colombia was not exactly known as the safest country in the world for many years. <laughs> it was, there was quite uh, a few bombs, quite a few guns, uh, quite a few wars, territories that you can get into now, entire mountain ranges you couldn't before. And if you did, it was to your own peril. Um, and you guys were really right there in the thick of all that, weren't you? 
But it didn't start off that way. We first went to the small provincial town, like a county seat of an area way up in the Andes Mountains. It was beautiful. The roads were dirt. You know, it's just yeah, like, okay, wow. So you started yeah, so in that way. We started with seasoned missionaries. Getting men. And a Bible, yeah, Bible Institute, which by the way, I found out <clears throat> that missionaries are not perfect. <laughs> Wait, stop the presses. They're not? I thought I thought all missionaries were super spiritual people who never make mistakes. They wake up in the morning, they dream of going out and just winning many people to the Lord. They come at night. There's never, I'm pretty sure a missionary has never actually officially burped in the history of, uh, of men. What, what was the biggest shock for you guys? Uh, you know, there is, uh, in the, I'm, obviously I'm joking for the listener. There's a, people have an idealized version of missionaries and they just forget missionaries are actually people too, who struggle with fears and worries and anxieties and then their own insecurities about feeling called but not necessarily feeling as equipped. And then they're having to learn new skills that they they weren't sure they'd have to learn because they thought God was just gonna go before and just pave away. And sometimes God says, well, yeah, you're gonna, I'm gonna go before you but I'm also gonna develop you as you go. And so there's so much that's wrapped into that. But what what was the biggest, was it was it harder for the two of you adjusting to life in Colombia or was it harder adjusting to the missionary sub-community? <laughs> That's a funny question. Yeah, say, what, say what you're going to say about them too, the missionaries. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, that's a funny question in a way. It's a, uh, it, yeah. Missionaries are people who have made a decision to follow Christ, mm -hmm. no matter what the cost. And you sing these, when a missionary comes to your church, you sing these songs, oh, I've counted the cost and I've let the world behind. Well, we are people and it is tough. And you've got a whole new culture. You've got a whole new language and, and a whole new style of learning things. And it, a missionary has to be a tough person and realize why they're there, first of all. And then- That call is so important. That is so important. And many times Dan would say to missionaries that would come later in years and go, do you remember why you came? You have to remember why you made the call. And maybe that's true for Christian life. I don't know. But the other thing on top of that is then your relationships. You need people in your life. Well, then there gets to be sometimes conflict in that. And we kind of, it's very easy to judge if the other person's working hard enough or if what they're doing is right and good. And that was the biggest surprise to me. And so our first year and, and any first missionary on the mission field is going to get exhausted. Yeah. And, and we couldn't worship. And we go to the church services, but it's another language. Some of the hymns we recognize, but the way they run church, and you just don't get filled spiritually. So, you know, that is tough. You have to be, there's some things you face as a missionary that make it tough. And then the missionaries, we get together, but sometimes we don't always mesh yep. Yep. too well. And that's hard. So it's hard, but at the same time, it's that learning process and, and you get stretched. You learn a lot in those times. Would you say that, 
uh, for both of you, would you say that it it um, that the field we'll call the kind of living in Colombia is the field? It's kind of common term. But you know, some of what God does through all of that is um, takes away the idealized version and says, um, "I'm going to teach you how to." be really resilient in faith and to be intentional that don't wait on your context, but you're going to have to go sometimes create the very thing that you see in the pages of scripture. Um, would you say that the field um, in some ways worked on your spiritual life and your personal growth to bake that in so that you kind of emerged from it uh, very differently than you entered into it just in terms of, again, kind of, building in that resiliency, which I should say, um, for the record, so for the listener, if they think every missionary walks away super resilient, every missionary walks away uh, super mature, that is not the case. Um, that is absolutely not the case. And some missionaries become open to that process and other missionaries close down pretty hard and um, can- Or can, burn out. Or burn out, yeah. They, they, they get into this do mentality for God's kingdom and his approval rather than the faithful mentality. So how did you guys approach that? As you kind of look back and you retrospect a little bit, especially going in versus coming out. And obviously there's a whole lot of success. I, you know, I know your story and I know there's massive success in that. And you saw great acts of God and miracles and just, you know, groups that you're seeing disciples have disciples and, you know, uh, generational, uh, transformation, but reflecting more on the personal side, kind of coming out of it in terms of living on the field from going into it. Um, how would you interpret that personal journey? My number one takeaway from being in at the first place, which was uh, a city, small city called Ocaña, Norte de Santander, up in the, up in the mountains, uh, it, was, it was more like a missionary compound with a Bible Institute and people that had their own ministries and they wanted you to, to respect their turf. Like one missionary said to us, we're glad that you're here, but just don't mess up what we've done. You know, that type of mentality could, did happen in some cases. In other cases, we, we had some really good teaching and, and um, mentoring experiences, but it made us ready after three years of being there, two and a half years of being there, to want to go someplace else, which took us out of the rural area into the city area. So I believe that sometimes what you find from these type of experiences, you find burnout or disillusionment, or you find new opportunities. In our case was, this was great. God really blessed when we were there for the two and a half years. Great stories there. We won't go there. But but, but we found we, we had this desire to go to the capital city and to see God use us for an impactful church planning process in a big city where missionaries from our mission had never ever gone before, never had ever done missionary work, basically trying to reach professionals. Yeah. And so, so uh, uh, it was amazing that our our missionaries that um, that had been there for many years and only wanted to basically do rural work were willing to let us go to Bogota. That was a that was the Holy Spirit thing because they ch God changed their hearts to make to allow us to go do that. Yeah, I love that they kind of went. Oh, you should probably go where a lot of people are moving to. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, think about it. Well, that's that's exactly we were there too. You know, you look historically of missions in Colombia, and when the missionaries, our missionaries, came from <clears throat> Venezuela, they came across the border and went into Colombia. And at that time, there were many different denominations, and they divided the country up by denominations. The Presbyterians were here, the you know the CMNA were here. Yeah, because instead of everybody being together, there was so much to reach out. Now, when we came, things were changing. Yeah. And we had a, a, a center for young people. They kids came to the Lord. They, they were 15, 16, 18, and they were going off to college to the big city. So From the small city. So we, they didn't have a church there. Yeah. So, so we moved along with them. Basically, it was the movement, which is, has happened in the past, what, 40 years of yeah. the movement to the cities? To the, so we were on that wave. But in Colombia, it was even more so because in the rural areas, it's, that was where the Civil War was going on. And we could know after a few years, uh, after right. having left uh, the, uh, the rural area, we could not even go back into the rural area without, without threat of being kidnapped or killed. I sometimes, because I became the leader of the, the mission in Colombia, in Colombia, we we had, we had, we uh, we would go to really dangerous places, but only if we believed it was something that needed to be done, because otherwise you were just putting your life at risk. But we but we would travel to those areas, but you know. The, the whole whole time that we were in Colombia basically was a, a time of, of you, you needed to really know that you had a call to be there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there because there was the drug wars as well as the political wars that were going on. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, if you guys ever write a book, I'll buy it because I, you know, that, <laughs> that there's so much, there's so much that I can't get that we're not going to be able to touch on in this podcast that I'm so, right. that I'm just so interested in. Um, you've not only done ministry, you know, in Colombia, but you've uh, done ministry here in Chicagoland. You've done ministry in Egypt. You've done ministry in Israel. You're still doing ministry in, in many of those places. You're, you have a daughter who's very much on mission in Colombia and has a wonderful family and uh, married a national who's a really incredible mission partner for Grace Point and you know son is ministering in a national context and you got great kids all the way around and um, and yet it's also not been without challenge and I know uh, you know just challenge with lives lifestyles uh, next gen cancer all kinds of stuff that you guys have really had to face. Um, I don't want to take up your whole day uh, with the podcast, mm -hmm. though I, you should know that I really could. Um, I, knowing that we don't have much time left, um, here you are, mature believers, still leaning forward in faith, still very much leaning forward in faith. Um, when, if you could give one piece of advice or insight uh, it's funny that we're going into, uh, we're doing a series at Grace Point on 2 Timothy. Paul has his last letter to give insight to Timothy and advice. Um, what piece of insight would you give to someone 
maybe who's not come through the maturity process and is learning how to balance it all and kind of get through life as a mature believer, but someone who's really going through the process of it. They're really in their formative stages um, and they're steeped in it. And they, you know, they're on the roller coaster of emotion. They're learning about scripture. They're trying to figure out character. They're confronted with their very first thing. They don't know if, you know, they're still trying to figure out if their identity is rooted in them or in God, even though they've already given up their identity to God. Um, as you reflect, just as mature believers, if you give one piece of advice or insight or practice or discipline, what would it be? My, my uh, number one advice would be what, ha what helped me all the years of my ministry was finding great people who would take the time to mentor me. Mm. And, and, and so, so uh, they, would, they would build into my life. I would see their character. I would see their weak points as, as well. And, and like you mentioned, uh, a number of people have said, have said, told you that our lives have affected them. It's because we had great mentors and, and we were able to reproduce that. And, and, and so uh, I, I would say to that person, find someone that you really respect and ask if they would, uh, would invest in their lives. That's so good. Uh, I believe at the same time uh, that that um, the number one thing that the, that mentor will probably help that person with again is to be uh, a true follower of Jesus in the sense of being someone who knows how to serve others. Mm. And 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 if you get that into your into your uh, spiritual framework, then you're going to be able to then have spiritual the, the spiritual um iq to be able to make good decisions and because opportunities happen all over the place but most people don't take the opportunities because they they have never learned how to serve and they they haven't been able to figure out how to, to take service into opportunities that really use their gifts boy I, listener if you're listening that, that, that's gold like pause the podcast, go back, write that down. That's gold. And by the way, that's also ancient in terms of yeah. insight that goes back to scripture. That's deeply, deeply rooted in scripture. You think about Paul, follow my pattern of sound teaching. You think about Paul with Timothy, you think about Barnabas with John Mark, you think about what they were teaching them. Um, man, there's just a lot of insight there. Thank you so much. Alice, what about you? Well, it's, um, there's so many things, but what anchors you? And I think there's one um, metaphor that's used a lot in scripture is God is my rock. Mm. He's my fortress. When the storm comes, you know, I'm there. And when I was a kid, we would sing, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And I'd look at that and, it, and, and, and that whole thing of that rock in our life it says, if you put these words of mine into practice, you'll be like a wise. So, so there will be tough times, uncomfortable times, times you don't want to go through. You just, you, you wish you could run away from it. You got to go through it. You got to embrace it. Uh, the COVID. I mean, this is just this is just one of these examples. It's no different than my 
life as a missionary or as a mom or as a wife, you know, it's that. Do you believe? And mm. who have you built your life on? So, so um, something this whole year of COVID, why are we going to get angry at something that we can't change? There are things we can prove, we can learn from, but um, let's take advantage of what we got, you know, embrace it. So I think that's part of it, but it, there is a process and it does not happen overnight. If we say, oh yeah, I've got this under control, we're lying. You yeah. know, there is some hurt. There is some uncertainty. There's, you know, wish you didn't have to go through it or why do I have to go through it? Did I do something wrong? No, you know, there's just learning lessons all through life. I thought at this age, I'd have everything, you know, things would shake me and they still shake me, but I've got a rock mm. and the storms come and they beat down and the wind blows, but I've got my rock. But again, so soak it up, listener. That's huge. Um, you know, the idea of in difficulty, dig into God and digging in is not the same thing as being inauthentic. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. They think that, well, if I dig into God, then that's not being authentic with my concerns or, you know, I'm not being real. No, no, no. Dig into God and be real. And uh, you actually, I think, become more real the more you dig in because you just don't have the time or really even the patience to play games with yourself or with others. You know, pretentiousness goes out the window when you're trying to weather a storm. That's <laughs> all, right? It's all just kind of like, okay, God, it's, it's you or nothing. That is so good, guys. That is so good. Thank you so much. Again, I could probably do three or four of these with you guys um, more because I, I, there's there are entire chunks and the, you know, not all of our listeners may know this, but I certainly do because I know you and I know more of your story. I have omitted, we've had to admit just because of time, I don't know, four fifths of, of all God has done. Um, so this is really just scratching the surface. But um, listeners, uh, in this podcast today, you've, you've received real genuine wisdom and gold. And I hope that you hear the the wisdom that was offered. And I hope you see and hear the example that has been set before you in Dan and Alice. And you can hear how real they are as people and how much they love Jesus in the process. And so um, if that doesn't inspire you, if that doesn't move you, I just gotta be honest with you, I don't know what else will. Um, I think this is probably about as good as it gets. So thank you both for being a part of this. Uh, I know podcasting is uh, it's kind of a new me newer medium, new-ish medium, but um, uh, you know, in the same way that I read books as I was growing up, or I would read about great lives, I started to realize that we it's so important that we remember and we look around us, really look around us, and we start to see who it is that is following well and what good emulation looks like. And I'm talking about emulating God, obviously, but being inspired by others around us, people like you, mature men and women in faith. So thank you so much. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm.